pray with me. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this day and the opportunity and the privilege to gather as your people with your people to listen to you, to worship you, to seek your input into our lives. As we prepare to read and reflect on your holy word, may you open our hearts and inspire our minds that we may be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many of you know we've been in this series uh, looking at the Old Testament prophets. We call it prophet margin. All of us would like to have a little margin in our profit, would we not? We want more money coming into the account than we want going out of the bank account. If we're honest with ourselves, we'd like a little more margin in our lives. In addition to that, we'd like to have a little more time to, as Jay said, uh, in his prayer to slow down and listen to God. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Georgia passed the hands-free law this a, a week ago. How many of you picked up your phone in the car sometime this week? Oh, that's right. We're Presbyterians. We don't raise hands in worship. I, I will confess that I reached for my phone a couple of times but uh, remembered very quickly and didn't, uh, the Bluetooth device is right there on the visor, grabbed it, put it on my ear, made the phone call. I was sitting in traffic up here in the Buckhead Triangle uh, the other day, and I looked over at the car next to me, and a young woman in the driver's seat was just, I wanted so badly for her to turn and look at me, I was going to go, take this new law as a gift to create a little more margin in your life. You don't have to be on 24-7. As we've listened to the prophets invite us to allow margin to be created in our lives, we've, we've heard from some of the great Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. Today we take a look at the last prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, in a rather familiar passage to some of us. It may be perfectly new to a lot of us. Regardless, listen with me to the Word of God from the third chapter of Malachi, beginning at the sixth verse. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be no, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. 
as the last prophet that is included in the Old Testament, you can uh, understand that this came at a particular point in the life of the nation of Israel. If you remember your Old Testament history, uh, you know, 20 second rundown here real quick. After the death of King Solomon, the nation split uh, the northern part, southern part, northern part called Israel, southern part called Judah. They had rival kings. uh, A a divided nation was weakened. Ultimately, superpowers around them came. Babylon defeated Israel and Judah in war. The city of Jerusalem was leveled. It was reduced to rubble. Uh, The way battles were carried out and the way wars were waged back then, the people of Israel were deported to the conquering country. So all the Jews were moved from Israel to Babylon. A number of years later, Cyrus, the king of Persia, defeated Babylon. He decided to allow the, the Jewish people to return to their homeland. A couple of generations down the pike, so the folks who were returning did not grow up there But they returned to Jerusalem and found an absolute mess. Jerusalem is a strategic city. It's a place geologically higher than the surrounding land. So they began to do the thing that made the most sense to them. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem to make this city safe and secure again. If you remember Ezra or Nehemiah, you'll remember that that was so much about the returning to the law of God and particularly building the wall around the city of Jerusalem. The people made sure they were safe and secure. And and once that had been done, they did what you or I would do. It's time to fix up the old home place. They identified the ancestral lands. The people settled in where their homes were, and they built their homes. Everything was the way it should be. Not really. They took care of themselves, and they neglected God. Their homes had been built, the city walls had been restored, but the temple was still in ruins. To make matters worse, throughout the book of Malachi, the prophet holds the feet of the priesthood to the fire. He accuses them of, in today's language, functionally phoning it in, just showing up not putting their heart, certainly not putting their soul into the work, not serving God, just basically punching the clock, doing their job, punching the clock, and going home. And it's not just the priesthood that Malachi says is taking advantage of God, it is the people as well. He says that they have robbed God. So there's that little dialogue that goes between the people and God through the prophet Malachi. How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Now there is a distinction between those two, you know. I noticed when Jay invited us to return gifts to God, he said, let's return to God our tithes and offerings. You may merge them together in one in your mind, but let me point out that there is a real distinction. In the first five books of the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, the tithe is commanded of all the followers of God. It's 10% of what you get off the top, not a little bit that's left over. The expectation was that people would give 10% of their very best. 
An offering, on the other hand, was something above and beyond the tithe. You had been so moved by what God had done in your life that that you wanted to give more to God. And that was your offering. What Malachi says, what God says to the people through Malachi is that functionally the people are bringing the dregs of their leftovers to give to God. Not unblemished lambs, but blemished sacrifices. They're not giving their best. It's like the story of the woman a number of years ago who was digging through her freezer a week or two before Thanksgiving and found this uh, frozen, emaciated turkey in her freezer that had been there so long it was obviously suffering from a severe case of freezer burn. She took one look at it and thought, oh my Lord, what am I going to do with this? She thought, how can I use this at Thanksgiving? So she calls Butterball, gets them on the phone, and describes to them what she has found in her freezer. And they basically say, ma'am, you're not going to be happy with this on your Thanksgiving table. She says, you know, you're right. I think I'll give it to the church. (laughs) It's not good enough for me and my family, but I'll give it to God. It reminds me of the story of the $5 bill and the $50 bill that bumped into one another in the bank as the tellers were sorting money and they were having this conversation with each other, the five and the 50. They said, hey, where you been? What have you been doing? The $50 bill said, oh man, it's been great. I've been out to dinner. I've been to the theater. I've been to ball games. I've been to concerts. I've been having the time of my life. I've been going great places. How about you? $5 bill said, ah, same thing. Church, church, church. You know, for 35 years, I have met with couples whose wedding I'm officiating. Every couple that I meet with, Bob, I'm sure you did this as well. One of the things we talk about is finances. Finance is one of the two areas in a couple's life where they are most likely to experience conflict. So it's important for couples to develop communication skills around money. For 35 years, I've been telling couples, look, You give 10% to God, you put 10% in savings. Now, I know I just stepped onto some really thin ice because those of you who are in the financial services industry just about blew a gasket. Because about five years ago, I said this in front of a group of guys at Ironman, and I had a bunch of guys in financial services come up saying, Chuck, 10% won't cut it. People have to save 20%. In today's world, you have to save 20% in order to have a safe and a secure foundation laid up for yourself in the future. So there it is. You're supposed to save 20%. Do you know what the national average of charitable giving is today? It's between 3 and 5%. So we'll take care of ourselves with 20% and we'll return maybe three to 5%. And that's being generous to God. You know what I learned a long time ago? The more you try to hold on to what you have, the harder it is for you to receive from God. Friends, you cannot catch a blessing with a fist. You have to open your hand. And when you open your hand to give your best to God, your hand is open 
receive from his bounty. Years ago in his book, Why Not the Best, Jimmy Carter tells a story of meeting with Admiral Rickover, who was the head of the nuclear Navy. He was, uh, Jimmy was um, interviewing to try and get a position as a young naval officer on a nuclear submarine. He went in and sat down with Admiral Rickover and uh, after just a very brief period of time, the Admiral invited uh, future President Carter to choose anything he wanted to talk about. And, and Jimmy says in his book that he chose subjects he had the greatest confidence in. He, he brought them up one thing, then another, then another, then another. And he learned that in every subject that he brought up, as confident as he was in his knowledge, he discovered pretty quickly that Admiral Rickover knew more about it than Jimmy did. Finally, at one point, Admiral Rickover looked at him and said, where did you stand in your class at the Naval Academy? Jimmy says he sat up straight and said, 59th in a class of 620, sir. Quite proud of himself. Admiral Rickover looked at him and said, did you do your best? And before he could blurt out the words, yes, sir, I absolutely did, he realized there were times that he could have gone and spent a few more hours in the library. He could have studied a little bit harder. He could have worked a little bit more on that paper, learned some more about equations. And he had to tell the truth. And he said, no, sir, not always. Admiral Rickover looked at him and said, why not? He turned his chair around to signal that the interview was over. Jimmy still turned out okay, didn't he? <laughs> I had an experience a little similar to that a number of years ago when I was serving the church in Pascagoula, Mississippi. I don't know what you think about pastors that we carry on this, this ongoing dialogue, verbal dialogue with God. There have been very few times in my life when I have felt that I audibly heard the Lord speak to me. This was, this was one of those times. I had been in a neighboring town and I was driving back into Pascagoula. If we were there right now, I could show you exactly where this took place. It was such a foundational experience in my life. I'm driving into town and it was as if the Lord was in the car with me and said out loud, you're a liar. Now, this is the way the, the interaction played out as I remember it. I responded, excuse me? And the Lord said, you're a liar. And I said, exactly what do you mean by that? And God said, the tithe. I said, whoa now, let's back that train up just a minute there, Lord. Uh, let's look at the accounts and you will discover that I'm giving more than 10% of what we earn to the church. And God said, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you. I said, whoa, time out. I work for you. You own me. I'm on the clock 24-7. You have all my time, 1,440 hours in a week. Come on. And the Lord said, I'm not talking about your time, Chuck. I'm talking about you. And I realized there had been those times 
when I rushed my way through my reading of Scripture. I kind of glanced at my prayer list. I didn't really pour myself into it. I didn't listen to God in prayer. I rushed through it so I could get to the next thing that I had on my to-do list. And let me tell you, folks, Chuck always has a to-do list. I realized in that moment that I had to make some changes in my life, and I, I paired things back so that, so that I could create more time in my life on a daily basis to give more of myself to God. If I was awake on average 18 hours a day, I needed to give 10% of that time to God. And for me, it's the first chunk of my time every day. And I carved that time out. I was a little anxious because I was afraid, gee willikers, you know, if, if I give that much more time out of my calendar to prayer and scripture reading and reflection and meditation, what are the things that I need to get done that are not going to get done? And I realized that the, what Malachi says was spot on. The pests that eat up my time went away. The more I gave to God, the more God gave me to give back. God spoke through Malachi and told the people, you have turned away from me. That word turned away in Hebrew literally means you've, you've changed the direction. It means you've been moving in a particular linear direction and you made a decision to go in a completely different direction. It's, it's a conscious choice, sometimes by benign neglect, but even benign neglect is a conscious choice. But God's promise is, if you return to me, I will return to you. And that word return is related to the word turned away because it means, again, in a linear motion, it means turning back to the former direction you have been following. It, it means restoration as well. Kind of reminds me of a church I heard of that has as their vision statement, joining Christ daily in the restoration of all things. You see, when we return to God, when we realize we have turned away, He allows us to be restored by His grace and His mercy. And when He does that, God says that He will open the floodgates of heaven. Now, that's a metaphor. There are not floodgates in heaven that He's going to open up and, and let blessings flow out. But it's a metaphor to let us realize that if we really give God our best, if we give ourselves over to God, He will bless us in a super abundant way. There will be more in your life than you know what to do with. Silly little illustration of this. Some of you uh, knew, remember Bill Manus. Bill, for many years, was the director of recreation ministry here at Peachtree. Uh, Bill and his wife Jackie bought a farm up in North Georgia a number of years ago, uh, built a cabin on it, cleared some land. Bill put in a garden, and he planted uh, a bunch of, of vegetables. And, and one day, he pulled his truck up and parked here in the circle in front of Wilson Chapel and came into the office area and said, hey, there's some corn in the bed of my truck, and um, here's a bunch of Publix and Kroger sacks. If anybody wants some corn, go get it. Well, I, we like corn, so I grabbed a couple of the sacks and I went out and looked in the back of Bill's truck. This is what it looked like. It wasn't just a little bit of corn. Bill had more corn. And let me, it wasn't just corn, it was Silver Queen. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Ah. 
He said he discovered that when you plant it all at once, it all comes in at the same time. <laughs> he had more corn than he knew what to do with. So I went out and filled up a bunch of those bags, uh, brought them back in, put them in the office. Later in the day, I went out and looked, there's still a bunch of corn in his truck. So I went out with more bags, just jammed them full. That afternoon, I got home, I walked in the house. I said, hey, Liv, I got some corn. I set it down. Her eyes popped out of her head. We spent that evening shucking corn. It was so fresh, we were still pulling worms off of it. We were getting the silk out of it. You know what we had for dinner that night? Corn. You know what we had with the corn that night? More corn. And we blanched it, we put it up, we ate that silver queen corn because Bill had a super abundance of corn. He couldn't hold on to it. It'd go bad. So he gave it. You can't catch a blessing with a fist. Open your hand. And when you do, you receive even more from God. In the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says functionally the same way. This is the way he puts it. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The more we open our lives up and live lives of abundance and, and give back to God what he has given to us, the more God will give us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 puts it this way. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. That word in Greek, cheerful giver, the word is Hilaros. What does it sound like? Hilarious. That's where our word hilarious comes from. It's not that God wants us to be miserly and, and try and hold on to everything, but, but do something that is just hilarious to give back to God, to give God the very best of our lives and see if he won't multiply his blessings in our lives. You can't outgive God. If you give God the very best, not just a little bit of leftover, but the very best, then God works in the very best of your life to bless you in majestic and manifold ways. We've just celebrated our nation's independence. We've uh, seen the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. Uh, you grilled out, you, you made all kinds of things. All of us overindulged at some point or another on Wednesday and we paid the price for it the next couple of days. And we've been sitting back thinking, oh, if only America could be what America could be. We want this to be a nation blessed by God. But did you notice what Malachi says about that? It's not that the people are blessed because of the nation. It's that the nation is blessed because of the people. When you and I return to God, and God returns to us, then amazing things start to happen. You'll be blessed when you open yourself up to God's blessing. And when each of us and all of us give our best to God, 
then you and I and we and this land will be blessed. Ran a number of years ago across a, a saying that allegedly was written on the tomb of an Anglican bishop in the crypts of Westminster Abbey. It says this, when I was young and free and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change, so I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize, if only I had changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I would have then been able to better my country, and who knows? I may have even changed the world. It all starts with you and your willingness to be open to God's blessing or to make the choice to cling tightly to what you hold. But remember, you can't catch a blessing with a fist. Let us pray. God, thank you for the reminder that you love us and that you long for us to trust you enough that we, that, that, that we demonstrate a radical trust in you. I pray you would open up the hearts and the lives of every person here today, that they would trust you, that they would be blessed, that we would be blessed not to hold on to those blessings, but to open them up that others may experience them. Help us today, our Father, to trust you. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all of God's people said, amen.